welcome everyone. We are Zero Ambitions. This is a podcast about sustainability, net zero goals in the built environment. Um, as ever, we're focused on what can be done to meet the collective challenges that lie ahead. Talk about good practice, not necessarily best practice, and uh, well, continually obsess about retrofit. Um, today, we're with John Daly of Magenta Living. John is uh, asset uh, sustainability and data manager there. Uh, so yeah, welcome. We've been I've been particularly keen to speak with you since Duncan shared your article, Four Key Ingredients for Sustainability in Housing, uh, which there's a lot of sympathy between our agenda and what you seem to be uh, presenting. Uh, and from podcast side, we've got Sarah uh, and Jeff today. Alex and Duncan are unavailable. Jeff, you're not going to say hello? I'm just gathering so I'm just getting my breath back from from uh from <laughs> being being a parent and kind of you know yeah general kind of failing failing you know the kind of this performance art of failure that that, that, I, that I've I've made my life and everyone around me yeah and start positive huh yeah um, of, it's Friday well, <laughs> welcome John uh hello thank you welcome. for joining us thank you for having me yeah, That's good stuff. I was particularly <laughs> struck by that article you put together, uh, published in October last year. Um, I can't remember where, but we can put it in some show notes somewhere. Definitely, yeah. But you talked about four key ingredients for sustainability in housing, looking at decarbonisation, culture, data, partnership working and residence. Like, oh man, remarkable goals. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. How did you... How do you find yourself set out on this path and particularly taking those routes? I think for me, there's there's a few things that really kind of played into my mind. And again, you know, I'm blessed with some really, really, you know, amazing colleagues and leaders, especially within our organisation. And one of the big things that we want to get right is when you're going out to obviously set a message out, you've got to make sure, obviously, that everyone's on the same page, obviously, within your own organisation. So again, we've got over 600 people working for us. Yeah. all doing great jobs every single day towards vibrant homes, vibrant neighbourhoods, and of course, vibrant lives. But how would you change that from, from there to, you know, sustainably vibrant homes, neighbourhoods and lives? And as you know, really, like the, the green and climate agenda is like, starting to become to the forefront the last couple of years. So it's really new for some people. Yeah. I mean, do you want to give us a bit of context about Magenta Living? Like, yeah, uh, sure. what is Magenta? Where are you? What do you, what do you do? So for us, I mean, yeah, we're a, a social housing association. Uh, we have 13,000 properties and the base predominantly in the will, which is a part of Merseyside. So guys, if you can tell by my accent, yes, mm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a local guy, as you can probably tell. Um, but yeah, again, there are also um, surrounding constituencies around there, so like Elfmere Port and Holton and a few other areas where we've had new developments. So again, it's uh, existing homes there. So again, you know, for us, really, our mission is to provide sustainably vibrant homes neighbourhoods and lives and again really you know <clears throat> we provide towards 30,000 homes around 25,000 residents um, and again yeah it's obviously helping people obviously with social housing amongst other things um, for ourselves really in terms of obviously what we're, we're trying to do um, especially around the, the, the climate agenda it's uh, we understand that the challenge well I say it's a challenge for me it's an opportunity personally over the next 30 years really to you know improve the assets that we've got and obviously the homes that we've got for our residents and for us really looking at it we're looking at it in three stages so we understand it's all set within government targets but also as well our own ambitions because at the end of the day 
you know, in some instances, we don't want to just, we don't want to comply with the green agenda. We want to lead on it or really set a precedence because ultimately, again, you know, we're responsible, obviously, you know, to our residents. We want them to have the best quality of life as possible. And really for the next 10 years, as you know, we've got, you know, fuel poverty regulations, so it's all our EPCC. The second stage then is, you know, making homes from, you know, from an EPCC, a SAP 69 towards zero carbon ready. So again, ensure a maximum insulation, inclusive of, you know, new heating technologies and hopefully some market stabilization around that. And of course, then from 2040 to 2050, we'll look and then a complete zero carbon inclusive then of energy generation that I'm selling back to the grid barely. So we're trying to make it a bit more sustainable. But again, you can't do this on our own. I'm only one guy. So there's a team, obviously, that I've got. Again, there's a wider team. And of course, as well, you know, you've got the rest of the organisation, which I spoke about before. So it requires the effort of over 600 people to do, obviously, what we do, which I'm quite proud of. And I think we're doing a great job. That it sounds like really, we really are. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And you've mentioned that, that you've said that a couple of times. So I think it's worth just pausing on that for a second. So you've said again in that article about normalising the green agenda across the organisation. Um. Ha, and, uh, sorry, uh, Dan, if I'm jumping onto a point no, no, I'm going to come to later, but this is a really amazingly important point about how you run your organizations and how you're going to also tapping into that point that you made about, yes, there are government targets, but then we have our own because we don't just want to like meet what the government are doing. And let's be honest, government are followers, not leaders. So if you want to lead, then you can obviously like help um, accelerate that that transition. So how do you do that then? How do you normalise the green agenda across your organisation of 600 people? Yeah, you call it a decarbonisation culture. Like, oh man. I wanted to get that out. I wanted the soundbite for that. (laughs) (laughs) A human note. I tell you what, I can can cut that and then we can let you have that golden nugget. (laughs) Exactly. I know John Bailey said, not Dan Hyde said. Oh, no, no, crack on. I just love something. There's quite a bit to it. I mean, first and foremost, as I say, we know we had a lot of um, understanding, a lot of prior thought from senior leaders. And again, I'm really blessed to have a really progressive board and senior leaders. And it's it's great. So again, it feels like a lot of the time, you know, they're working with us rather than, you know, I feel like as I said before, you don't feel like you're on Dragon's Den in a sense where you've got to convince people. It's very much the other way around saying, no, okay, we're very evidential based. We want things to happen, but at the same time, we've got a very supportive, you know, group of people, which is amazing to see. But then at the same time, as well as again, technically, if you look at it from a psychological basis, you know, we've although it might seem, you know, it's about minority influence and the fact that there's only a small team that we've got to influence six hundred. We've also got to do that as an organisation towards thirteen thousand homes. So again, for us, really, it's about normalising some of these things. So the big thing there is, believe it or not, is then saying basically where can we start making a bit of a difference? Where can we start looking at internally to start influencing other teams? And the first thing I really believe in about is not a lot of people think about it, but it's the challenges of other teams rather than the opportunities in other teams. So, for instance, one of the things that you might see classically within an organisation, for instance, is housing management and asset management. Sometimes it can, can be competitive or, you know, when you're looking at, like, say, for instance, the retrofit agenda, you know, again, you've seen it in Inside House and other magazines and HQN that there's a bit of a discrepancy between um, retrofit agenda and new developments And because we've all got finite resources. So how can we work together? So for me, really, it's a case of, I say, start looking at them challenges and understanding teams, not just internally, but externally, and say, okay, where are the challenges and what can we start to really look at together and get them from a psychological perspective? So the first thing I said, believe it or not, 
was from the housing management perspective, because I've been a housing officer as well, was that I see homes not as lines on spreadsheets. I see them as homes of people. And as I say, every time I spoke about this at conference, so much, so much. Remember behind every one of them lines of a spreadsheet, there's a person. And that's the most important asset of any social housing organization. Because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be in a job. Mm. And yeah. that for me is so important. So when you obviously look for influence, you start bringing this kind of like psychology, we start working together and people start seeing you as a kind of a, a critical friend or someone you can really work with. So again, you're setting the environment and getting the culture right. But then when we've got that as well, we started looking at them and we started understanding challenges in teams and start to really help be seen as a, 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 like an asset rather than being a hindrance. Then it's really starting to kind of like kind of get to grips of how we can influence that to standardise messages. So for instance, some of the things I wrote out in that article was around, for instance, sustainability KPIs. Just to say basically, how can we get that standardised message of looking at all the good work we do and identifying areas of improvement and put influence of people in a way that's understandable. But you, and, you mentioned standardised sustainability conversations in the mm-hmm. same article. I, that's an intriguing idea, uh, even more so than a KPI, because you're talking, ostensibly, it's going to be talking stories to people rather than is. just numbers. Stories you, stick, numbers don't. No, you're absolutely right. And again, being a public speaker, remember 7% of everything that's being said is remembered, but 100% of what how it made you feel is remembered, right? Yes. I'm a public speaker as well, guys, so it's like I'm cheating there, right? But at the same time, it's very much true. So again, one of the big things that we had and one of the big th- kind of brainwaves we had is in the no organisation really is looking at climate change champions. So it's not just about having sustainability KPIs and really having a strong quantitative message. It's having a strong qualitative message and then taking account of people who are already interested in the green agenda. So for us, one of the big things that we looked at was looking at uh, current teams across the organisation. And we started asking about the green agenda. So, you know, who's interested in it? Because we know everyone's interested in it. You've got to look at the, the, the you know, you look at the ONS figures and how much people are interested. Um, and then we identified 25 people, inclusive of residents and also committee members, right? So we brought them together in basically a meeting and we started like kind of talking about some of these things. So again, when we started talking about like the messages and a few other things, we realized then it started becoming a bit of a, an idea, like a think tank in a sense. So some people started having some of these really interesting ideas. And one of the people within housing management said to me around that, I said, what can we do really? to help residents more at certain processes or certain parts of their tenancies to which we start on what sign up process. Yeah. And one of them said, well, we do, we do all these, all these conversations, you know, certain elements. And one person said to me, hey, you know what? What about when we go around at new tenancy? Like we, we have a, a standardized way of saying certain things. We've got to have a checklist. Can we not include that as well around, you know, around the uh, bill management and uh, as income and also as well around tariff change and if there's any, any uh, anything else that we can help them with. Mm. So which I literally looked at them and said, why are you asking me? <laughs> Do it. <laughs> right? But because of that then, as I say, it becomes a standardised way of then doing new tenancies. So in the end, we can say that literally from the figures and the dates that we've had because we sat down and agreed the process was to say that now we can say, and again, it's being verified by Shift Sustainable Housing Index for tomorrow. We've had over a thousand conversations within the last year with new residents around income, 
their bills. And of course, again, how obviously we can help around that. So it's leading into our next phase, which we're going to do energy advice as well then. But at the same time, for now, that's how we're doing it. So some of these things, we're starting to learn around stories. And of course, as well, like trying to influence people to act actively, not passively. So it's not just by social media or, you know, a residence news that's coming through the door. It's actually something that's actually, with you know, within an actual live conversation. And that... Oh. Brilliant. It's all about storytelling and it's about getting that message out there because that's that's where you make the difference. It's that's amazing. It's about, so now, um, are you um are, are you making a point of trying to capture this data in a way going straight from stories back into facts, of course, um uh you know in in a, in a way that enables you for instance to understand both the condition of the existing stock in a in a meaningful way um and people's um people's perception Oh, and 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 uh, experience of their stock and what they what, of their home and what on what they want from it. Are you th think what? Because one, I have to say, one of the things that that is a personal bugbear for me when we look at, at retrofit, for instance, sectors that, and in fact, it's a, it, this is a case across any any area where we're trying to do something new and and and, and interesting from a sustainability perspective. We're great at, or we're better at, paying attention to the new shiny thing. Um, um without looking at what the conditions were before in in a meaningful way and unless you have that contextual information of you know uh the 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 change you've made not just in kilowatt hours per square meter per annum mm -hmm. but in, in, you know whether it's in terms of of indoor air quality thermal comfort or whatever you know uh how much temperature difference you're get you're getting as a consequence so how much of of you know how likely you are to be prone to comfort taking when people upgrade a house and so on are you are, are you thinking about trying to capture that data in in, in any way and capture and, and those stories so, yeah, there's, there's a few things on this. I mean, first and foremost, by the way, it's within fuel poverty as well. A lot of people miss the behavioural elements. Mm. It's massive. So even if you have an EPCA, like let's say 95, SAP 95, if that resident's got 20 iPads and they've got everything on, they can still be in fuel poverty, mm -hmm. right? So you've got to think of it like that, right? Behavioural elements are really, really big. But at the same time as well, that is also built into the way that we do modelling, believe it or not. So one of the big things, I mean, it gets me out of bed every morning. God, I think everyone in the organization's heard me say that. What gets John out of bed every morning? Feel poverty. That and that and that and poverty. It's just, I can't believe in 2022 it's, it's happened, right? But okay. the point was, is to say that when we look at some of these things, it's a case of, we basically, we look at fuel poverty in terms of percentage. We also as well look at um, income as well. So we obviously we look at that because we want to make sure that when we do do this modeling, it's not just about the shiny new thing. It's also about if you look at some of the funding criteria and what we're trying to achieve, we're trying to achieve government targets. But again, that increases residents' quality of life. Hence, we look at resident impact very heavily. Right. When it comes to it at the moment, so we're, again, energy advice, as I say, will literally be out within the, within this current this, this current year. And then again, one of the big aims that I've got is then it's transforming not just the amount of referrals we've got or the amount of like kind of conversations we've got into them story as well. So when we start looking at these elements of our modeling, we've also got a qualitative backing around the quantitative elements, right? So you become in the research world a formative approach. Right? Yeah. How did you sell this? I mean, this this is a, an approach that I've not heard anyone describe a similar approach. So everyone's looking after building stock as best they can. You know, some people be more maybe more attentive than others. <clears throat> but behavior is something that seems to be omitted by and large. I mean, just as you said, you know, 
people are just lines on a spreadsheet. Assets are determined in terms of value or wealth accumulation rather than homes to be lived in. Um, I mean, how did you sell that in as an idea? Uh, and how did you create a framework to, to deploy it, to marry the, the qualitative and the quantitative work that you're doing? I think really it's, I mean, it's something that I've been really passionate about for years, to be honest. So I said, I've been a support worker and I've been a housing officer. And for both of them things, it's like, it's very qualitative. But then the other way around, there's not a lot of quantitative elements to it. I've tried to always have a well-rounded approach because I've wanted to be able to, to basically to measure value and also really be kind of, you know, understanding the approach. Because again, ultimately, like anything, you know, if you get audited or something happens, like you can actually show all the thought process and you can really see behind it and really a big believer in holistic thinking. So again, it's not just about saying, oh, okay, we've only got X amount of resource, we'll throw it there because it makes sense from a strategic point of view. It's to say, okay, how much is that going to benefit residents or what's the impact? And then likewise as well, you know what I mean? You might have a great lesson story, but again, you've ultimately got to think of, you know, you've got to, the numbers have got to match up as well. Now for me, in terms of obviously what we did and when I've been doing like modeling, a few other things, I'm quite blessed to say, because I've got a great team who believe in that. And it's great. And being able to work with them every day, of course, the wider team are like that. And of course, as well, senior leaders are really behind it as well, because we're very passionate about residents. Do you know what I mean? We're really passionate about some of these stories and having that holistic thinking. But whilst I say that, it's very evidential in thinking as well. So for instance, if I said like the bid for the social housing decarbonisation fund, mm. if you say to me where that was, um, how that worked, it was 165 properties in the, probably the most uh, fuel poor fuel poor fuel area in the will. So the national average is about 10% fuel poverty, but this was 25%. Then the national average of income is around 30,000 and this was around 17,000. And then we'll have to say that, and again, we've taken account of income data and a few other things, and of course, resident management data. We've also taken account of like the local plans, our strategic plans, and of course, the Liverpool City Reason Housing Investment Strategy. So it's all about, like, imagine it as a big funnel. We've got what we want, and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So we're achieving everything from like the micro to the macro, all to do with residents and impact, but also as well utilising the resource that we've got. So it's really holistic in thinking, and I'm just blessed the fact of, you know, I've been able to put it in a way that, you know, senior leaders are very behind and it's great to just have like minds in the room. And again, we're all, we're basically, we're all kind of agreement, agreeing with it really. So, so, I mean, on that point, uh, if your senior leaders are behind it, because I'm thinking for people who might be listening who are in a similar organisation to yourself, how they might get it away and whether it's even re replicable because, at Liverpool and the Wirral, the Scouse Riviera, uh, you, <laughs> you're quite like, you know, there is a, it is perceived to have quite a unique culture. And I'm not being trite in this, you know, mm. I don't believe Scousers are the funniest people in the UK, but really? you have a very unique <laughs> political culture. Uh, nor do I believe you're the best fans either. I don't know whether you're blue or red. Wow. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think they're about to you guys. I don't know. Calm it down, Dan. A political culture, there is something really unique there, like something that's totally inarguable. Like looking at uh, Liverpool through the ages, uh, through the 80s, to even the, the more recent ructions in local government. And I wonder whether that has an impact on what you're able to achieve. You know, something in the ether, if you will. Like... Uh, or do you think this is something that will be achievable for anyone? Because the, sorry, Sarah. No, I just, I think on that as well, and it's something that John, that a word and a phrase is something that John had just said, which was about um, the understanding the value. And we talk about this on this podcast quite a lot about redefining 
value and understanding what value means when we're talking about homes and decarbonizing them and improving them and maintenance budgets and all that stuff and the place of sorry there's something going on around my neighborhood there are sirens aplenty so that's just going to be part of today's recording but oh you can't hear us don't worry about it yeah <laughs> um so it is that is a really important thing and when you're then talking about whether or not that's replicable, I think it is replicable if you understand and identify the fact that what you're talking about is a different definition of value. And then that is embedded in the way that you operate. And so it obviously is embedded in the way that you operate as an organization. And you've talked a little bit about that. And I'm also really curious about what your relationship is like with your residents, which I've made assumptions about because it sounds like it'd be pretty strong from what you've said in the way that you work. But like those are sort of interesting kind of toolkits that if captured could be really useful for other people. Like, um, and I'm thinking about um, Anika Kelly of Carbon Co-op and she put together the retrofit toolkit for all and they put the resident front and centre and they actually call them resident clients. So they get treated with respect and they get treated with not as people to have stuff done to, but people who are really important and active should be actively involved in this whole process so there's so much there I think that actually it's it's been difficult over the years to capture that stuff but I think you know organizations such as yourselves are obviously doing that and by doing that and capturing it and talking about it and sharing those stories hopefully it does enable that replication because it's the right direction to be going in I agree less, less paternalism more more collaboration basically yeah, yeah. but that, that's something that again I spoke about in the HQ and um in a HQN article. I mean, for us guys, I mean, this is based, I'm going to be totally honest. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll sum this up with, with, with a quote from one of my favourite, like my one of my heroes, Greta Thunberg. In 2019, in front of the Climate Change Conference, she said, change is coming whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. But it's how you see that change, right? And again, do you see it as an opportunity or do you see this as a challenge? When you look at some of these elements now and the way that even central governments are going, the residents have become increasingly important. You've only got to look at the social housing white people and you've even got to look at the standards that we've got to deliver against now. So past 2035, the favourite P word, apart from procurement, right? Yeah. It all basically, it's all about the residents. If you look at the Bonfire Review and every home counts, God, I quote this like at least twice a week, right? But the point about it is, is the resident has to be, as Sarah said, front and centre. Mm. I'm quite biased in this way because I've always been about the residents. Mm. I've never not been behind the residents. I said I wrote papers, I wrote uh, dissertations on this. And as I say, I had an entire career, but all I've done is spent it with the residents. So for me, I'm always going to be about the residents. But again, as asset managers, this is where the change is going to come because we're basically being told by governments, you've got to do this. You realise we've only got finite resource. There's only one way to do it. You've got to take the residents centre stage because they're so, so important. And as I say, for me, I just feel that sometimes I'm not trying to kind of be a bit kind of to the point but we've got on that journey a lot quicker mm. and at the same time for me i think it's, it's i've never seen it as any difference no. so for me if someone said to me at the minute okay why you know why are we doing this with residents like i've never done it not like this <laughs> do you know what i mean and i think simply that's what we've got to do as, as housing association you've got to remember like what are we doing it for yeah do you know what i mean it's just, it, i've said it over and over again as an asset manager it's not about the homes it's about the most important asset of all, and that's the residents in the home. Because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have a job. Back to your quote that you mentioned there from Greta, and it's something that kind of is, has been 
circulating around in different forms. So like being overwhelmed by the magnitude of the challenge or being inspired by the opportunities within it. Mm -hmm. And like, we can look at that on a micro scale or on a macro scale. So we can look at that as in like, you know, the planet is on fire or the fact that we've all got targets to meet or the fact that we can do a little bit better. And, and, and what are we waiting? Like, this is what gets me so often it's like whoa what are we waiting for it's only going to go one way and if you have the, the right mindset then you can see it as an opportunity you know you back yourself into corners if you shut down from this like you either come to the table and be part of the conversation you're going to get subsumed by it whether mm. we're talking about climate change or whether we're talking about improving our targets or decarbonizing our housing stock what's the alternative mm. you know you've got to just get on board but I think it's an interesting one then because, again, it's like you say, don't be, it's, you know, the easiest way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And it's like, I think a lot of people are looking at it as the elephants and not looking at it as, you know, sitting down with your little handkerchief, your neckerchief on, with your little knife and fork. And you're like, okay, this is how you do it, right? Because it's other things then that have got to play into it. Because, again, some people, I think, see it as an idea and it's got to be done. But again, it's how, where do you start? Do you start at the elephant's tail? Do you start at his ears? Do you start at the feet? Where do you start? And it's like, I've said this a couple of times. I, I said this in the uh, in the article as well. It's being able to have, and I come back to me, kind of my approach. It's about having sound data to make evidential decisions. And again, for a lot of people, they've got to, they might not have to start all over again, but they have to get to a point where they're in a better position in doing so. And of course, the big one as well is, They've got to identify the partners they're willing to work with. And it's become more important than ever on certain funding elements. Because as we know now, I'm not going to name any any uh, any certain funds, but some of them will require obviously us to work together, but don't involve certain others. We've got independence. Mm. So for instance, you know what I mean? Like there's obviously, well, I'll just name it. The, the social housing decarbonization fund, the wave two, it doesn't require the local authority. You can do it on your own or you could do it with partners independently. So again, if you're willing to do that on your own, you've got to make sure that you're doing it a good yeah. job of it. And you've got to identify the partners you're willing to do it with you. And as I always say, it's about homogeneity. So you've got to say, is it via measures? Is it via the approach that you're going to do? Is it to do with the archetypes? Is it to do with the work, uh, to the working relationship? Everything. Do you know what I mean? Do you do it like that? Or again, do you go with the local authority and go with kind of a bit of a, you know, a bit of a kind of an existing approach because we know that most local authorities did something within somebody. So again, it's really identifying, like not just doing the idea, but again, doing it via data, obviously that you can actually, that you've got like a good confidence in. And of course as well, like working together with partners to basically to make it. I always go on about placemaking as well for me. I always talk about it. So it's like, for instance, for me, we're obviously we're operating well. And the first thing I did within any funding application or whatever is I go out there and speak to all the housing associations around. And it's a case of saying, okay, if I own, there's a street of 10 homes, I'm going to say I want an EWI program. I've got eight. I want the other two. Like I, who owns them and how can we do this together? Or again, how do we generate an area that may be seen as an area that may be, you know, is less desirable than other? How do you place make that to the point where people want to live there? Like, I mean, like a lot of demand. And I think for us, it's about working in partnership, utilising our finite resources together, having sound data to make decisions, and of course, trying to do the best, again, to make vibrant homes, vibrant neighbourhoods, and of course, vibrant lives. That's absolutely. How, how do you ensure that the work is done to a, to a good standard? Um, how do you... Um, also ensure that that the, the work is you know I, I mean I mean on one level just to ensure that that it, that 
the stuff isn't falling off of walls, you know, if it's, you know, or some of the horror stories that we've seen with, uh, with various retrofit measures in the past and that, that, and that the, that your clients end up actually getting the benefit that we expect in terms of, of, uh, of comfort, reduced, uh, energy use and so on. What, what sort of systems do you have in place to, uh, to, to, to ensure those outcomes? Well, as I say, I mean, Again, it's well currently at the moment. So we've got you know externally, we've got internally approved external contractors, and of course we've got our own building services. So again, like it's it's like most most organisations. But as I say, where it's going to change, especially is within funding elements. So we're going to have to start seeing, and we're seeing it now a lot with contractors who are signed up to Trustmark, and of course past twenty thirty five. So as I say, for us, it's not just about saying that we're going to put something in and that's it. And again, remember, it's some of these things as well, they're not just put in in isolation, they're putting this whole house retrofit. For ourselves, we're basically making a bit of an innovative approach within this. So for us, we want to have an internal past 2035 team. And the way we're going to do it is we're looking at the main the main elements, like such as the, the retrofit coordinator, uh, retrofit assessors and a few other elements. And we're looking to have two of each. Right. And the reason is, it's not only they get to double up on certain things because obviously the framework allows for it. And I've heard that uh, from the direct mouth of Peter Rickaby, who's the uh, who's the author of Past 2035. Yeah, um, writes a column for us as well. Great guy. Yeah. He is a great guy. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, as I say, um, you double up on some of these, but also it's about it allows for quality control. Right. So for instance, if you're doing retrofit assessments, this is so I'll have two surveyors who will be retrofit assessed, assessors who obviously are DEA trained as well. As I say, they can check each other's work. So again, it's another form of saying we made sure of standards mm-hmm. and we made sure we'd done the best that we could. The same with as well with coordinator and the evaluator role because you can say it's not just coming from one person, but it's coming from two to say so it's got you, checked. And then are you controlling the design then? So that, you know, or, or are you allowing the contractor, uh, the approved contractors to, to, to control them? What kind of control do you keep on the specification to try and, you know, stop the, the wrong kind of value engineering, for instance, from occurring? Well, as I say, that'd be, that'd be something that, that's within the specification. That's something that we're looking to kind of have a look at at the minute. Um, okay. And again, but I said, we'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. But I said, we've got a bit of an idea and understanding, but it's it's nothing worth where they've, uh, you know, have been fully explainable now because we're still <laughs> figuring that out. So. Okay. And um, what about uh, performance monitoring? Like, uh I'm thinking in terms of like resident satisfaction as well as the the more material concerns. Like I don't know whether you're able to measure temperature, humidity, uh, air quality, things like that. Just loads, isn't it? I mean, the big thing that I'm I'm really really passionate about is in every one of the bids that we do and everything that we want to do is that we we do want to have some sort of air thermal monitoring. So basically, I'm not going to name any product names or anything, but there's 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 uh, suppliers products out there. And suppliers obviously have services out there that allow for this to basically say, okay, well, it's not just about saying, well, we've put something in and that's it. It's we, we can actually then take like real world data and say, oh look, it's improved by X and improved by Y. One of the big things as well that came out in the demonstrator fund for the SCDF was they needed to um, monitor for six months afterwards. Mm. But for me, I just want that in general. <laughs> I think why? Because I really want to be able to say, especially if you're looking at archetype data. And we could say that it's made the following improvements. But then again, taking account of it before, which is really interesting, Dan, 
we need to take account of behaviour as well because not only is it saying, well, it's, you know, on average it's increased by X or increased by Y, we could then start identifying it intelligently who may be at risk of field poverty, right? Yeah. Like tomorrow's world now, isn't it? It's a bit like, ooh, look what you should do with that, right? <laughs> I know. So I'm all about, in my head, it's changing it from a reactive data source to a proactive data source. And as yeah. I say, we, if, when we come to modeling as well, which I'm sure one of you will ask me more about, uh, that's where it gets really mind. interesting. <laughs> So this is exactly like, you know, we like to get excited about the big picture and get all, you know, and what we should be doing and all that stuff. But we also really like to talk about the practicalities of taking action and delivering this stuff and not just saying, oh, do you know what we all need to do? And this is what's really refreshing about the chat with you because it's like you're doing this and that you're you're sharing these nuggets with us about how you're doing that. And we've sort of gotten so excited that we're talking about specification and, and post-occupancy and um, evaluation monitoring but yeah the mo- the modeling the stock modeling like the early doors stuff so being a um uh housing association i guess your funding cycles are slightly different to that of say um local authorities or, or maybe there's some similarities but we talked a lot before with um uh dane from iopt who is uh, who who does have this product for for monitoring um properties and the importance of actually getting to know your housing stock so when we work with with a couple of different hats on when we work with local authorities one of the questions that we always ask is like do you know your housing stock how well do you know your housing stock have you monitored it have you measured it and it's not something that there is much budget for because it's about putting something in and then sitting and waiting and watching and monitoring it. And it's not like action. It's not like, oh, we've installed EWI on, you know, 20 streets in the borough. So do you do that? Have you done that? And if and and have you got any kind of other lessons learned about how what value that brings um, and how that informs the kind of rollout of your interventions that you do? As I say, I mean, the ones obviously prior, um, as I say, we have, when we say about monitoring, we've obviously we've got the usual, haven't we, you know, an increase in EPC and uh, obviously rest and feedback and a few other things. But again, for us, really, that monitoring is going to change as we go forward with further programmes and, of course, sort of funding elements. So for us, as I say, it's a, it's still keeping our formative element in my head. So it's about saying that not only should we be looking at it from a data perspective, but it's also as well, we want to have them stories. We want to understand how that works together because I want to be able to say, You've got both the humanistic side and obviously you've got the data side. We want to be able to tell that story to say it's actually increased this. Remember as well, some of these as well, that when, especially when applying for funding, it's all about storyboarding. So to say, if you've been able to be successful using one archetype or in one area, it will also be applicable to X and Y. And that's not just for ourselves, guys. That's also as well for the rest of the sector. Because a lot of people get stuck in the whole reinventing the wheel. Like we're doing a great pilot on X or Y. It's like, yeah, but you know, like the you know, another association down south has done that. Mm. Like when you spoke to them first, like yeah. like the big thing that I learned from like the the demonstrator fund, although we were we were unsuccessful for it, was I spoke to every one of the winners, and I spoke to them about stuff like this, and that's why, for instance, like my approach to certain things changed. Do you know what I mean? And again, whilst I've always been quite formative in my approach, again we were really specifically formative on approach so as i say you know we've allowed budget for monitored software you know we're very inclusive obviously a past 2035 we understand there's some of that rest and story stuff and the first quest i asked around getting coordinated a few other elements is, is where can we capture that mm-hmm. do you know what i mean but as i say obviously you've got that but then in terms of the design of a program it's it's quite similar as i say before we've got to understand like our not just our stock but also our rest of makeup 
I say before, the first thing before I even think really about homes is like what areas do we need to target the most? You think about what the government wants. They want to target fuel poor areas. They want to have low areas of, of, of uh, sorry, low areas, sorry, of uh, regret in terms of the actual the measures. And they want to focus on fabric first. And of course, on top of it, we've got to look at EPCC, SAP 69. So for us there, straight off the bat, is thinking, right, who needs it the most? And who can we help the most? And I look at the most vulnerable people or the most vulnerable areas. So say before, we targeted the area that was four and a half, well, basically four and a half times higher than anywhere else and had half of the amount of income. But the way I kind of see this changing is that whilst, you know, we've done a lot of this, we've done a lot of modeling and it's a lot of like some great, great work, obviously from, you know, from people obviously within our team, is that like the way this is going to be done is a lot, it's going to be a lot more intelligent in the future. So if you had to ask me, right, kind of how it works now compared to how it works in the future, it will be quite starkly different. So the same kind of principles with, with, with the line, saying we've got to take a couple of present impact and logistics and, you know, budgets and a few other things. But the big thing for me is about how we portray that data. So for me at the moment, it's all on reports. And it's all about like, there's a rationalization, there's a bit of a discussion. We have all the senior leaders around the table. It's quite an exciting time because there's a lot of considerations, a lot of things, everyone's got their own opinions and it's great to kind of be in the hustle and bustle. But for me, what I kind of want to see it as is that it's worked into a visual model. And I just okay. become and I just become the weatherman. And I go, right, what are we doing tonight? Right. <laughs> and then because of the, obviously the way software and a few other elements are going is, is that if senior leaders in the room go, oh, I don't want that, and I don't want that. So all right, I'll just cut that out now and I'll put it there instead. And I'll take that one off and I'll put that there instead. And again, calculate all the impacts and you've put all your measures into like a database and then it basically brings it all out and works to something that you want to do. So eventually, you're not just working to something that's a bit more visual, a bit more pleasing, but also as well as you can get results in a quicker time because it's all the key stakeholders around the table. Like my vision is to be able to basically get to the point where we can actually sit there and discuss within an hour a whole retrofit plan with everyone around the table. And at the end of it, I can walk out and go, right, procurement time now. Yeah. Out we go. Yeah. And that's basically so when what you've I want. done that, John, if you could just roll that out across the country, that would be a big help. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. It's, if, I, if I like it, resource like Elon Musk, I'd, I'd, I'd get that out everywhere. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but I mean what does that look like, marrying the qualitative and quantitative parts? Like when you're presenting this, these reports or this, this data, what you're turning it into? Like, how are you even managing that? Because I can't imagine what that looks like. Like, I can imagine the value of it because it's what I do for a living. But, uh, but yeah, in, in social housing, with so many different contingent factors involved, uh, my mind is boggled. I think for me, really, it's finding something that or a platform really that obviously can have a number of different elements, and then it's really quantifying some of these elements. So for me, for instance, energy advice service would be about the amount of referrals that we're getting. And also, as well as to any elements within this, we could see where there's a high amount of referrals, but also the like the kind of, not the severity of there, but again, you can kind of see a bit of a scale. I can imagine to see there's a bit of a difference. So for instance, if there's a lot of, in one area, we can tell not only, say, the, is the, the ONS data telling us there's a high area of fuel poverty, but there's parts of neighbourhoods that are really significant that we've got internal data for. So you're kind of quantifying the qualitative if you get what I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Then other other elements as well around things like one of my kind of interests in 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 housing general is disappear, and I find that really interesting, right? Because I just think, okay, right. People say obviously it's it's quality of the home, but again, there's a lot more to it. It it could also be behavioural element too, as I say before. It's how do you basically look at that? So you start looking at disappear claims, 
and how you really start thinking, okay, well, where are they in what areas? And again, what obviously can we do around that? So you start looking at elements around this. Then I can kind of imagine then things like, you know, you're looking at certain areas of strategic importance. So where does the company want to look at specifically? And again, is there any feedback? Can we put resident satisfaction in there? Where are the lower areas? How can we implement that? And then again, then things like income as well to say, okay, well, you know, or again, where there's been issues of like, for instance, rental areas, because there's a positive correlation between energy payments and rental areas. So one affects the other. So it's like you can kind of make some not like, like they're like informed guesses in a sense, but they're very linked and it's been like, scientifically link both them together. So if you start putting all that data in there, you start creating this big map of exactly yeah. where these are and it's multi-layered. So in the end, you've got like, as I say, I act like John the Weatherman, like four or five layers. I said, this will have the following effect, click. Then the following effect, click. The following effect, click. And that's basically where I imagine it being. So there's no more reports anymore. One of the things I said to my senior leaders one time was when I was trying to sell this idea was, you ate spreadsheets. <laughs> right or who hates supports because there's so many of them to read right and again I'm not saying that they're a bad thing in general I mean even though I've just said I hate spreadsheets it's, I don't by the way I love them um, but but the, I've got to get that in there that's a soundbite I've got to get that in there but the big thing about it is, is that because there's so much you've got to remember as well senior leaders specifically like they've got so many decisions to make they've got they've got such limited time and they're so like important and valuable to have around the table so you've got to make like, their job like more straightforward. And again, you're not coming with them with problems, you're coming with solutions. Because at the end of the day, they're colleagues the way yeah. I am with them. So if you make their job easier and more engaging and think about it, you walk into a meeting, it's like, I love John's meetings. Why? Because he doesn't bring reports. He kind of brings this mad software up that has all this on it. And it's dead engaging and we can change it up as we go. And at the same time, I'm trying to be very value with their time to say, mm. right, okay, in an hour, we can get everything done. And I can leave and go, right, we're off to procurement and commission delivery and all the other teams and that's where i kind of see it because i want to make this process more straightforward i want to make it best practice so it's yeah, on a couple of different, different levels isn't it that we need to enliven this data this information and turn it away from the conversation around data and about actually the the uh, uh, story the is the word the message is the word but like what does it look like what are the places look like that we're talking about and and i think it comes back to the very first thing that you said to us which was you know, it's not about lines on a spreadsheet. It's about people. So I think we talk a bit about, and we're we're really interested in the messaging around retrofit and the messaging around that and how it becomes something that we can understand to be more about like the value in our neighborhoods and how we live our lives and the 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 what are commonly referred to as co-benefits, which we know are not co-benefits, they're just benefits um to improving the the, the the bits, the fabric of people's lives, right? So if you've got a way, a really compelling way of communicating that, which to me, when you were talking there, I'm seeing this like this interactive map that's filterable, that you turn stuff on and off and you want to talk about a particular aspect of things. And it's also potentially like geographically connected and, mm-hmm. and, and all of those other things. And so you're immediately able to, to understand that and make an assessment of that. And you're able to update it and input it and, and input new information to, to make it more relevant and to change as the landscape changes, as we continue to decarbonize the grid, as we switch from fuel sources all of those things and see how that changes and how that can inform quick decisions and that has to happen because the urgency of getting people out of fuel poverty is one big thing but also like you know the urgency of dealing with 
our carbon emissions and the fact that that's a mm. finite thing that's like we need to just be there we like we want to be and that's, there and that's basically where exactly where i'm trying to be that's it i mean if you look at like maybe you know going a bit scientific now it's like if you look at how people process data in general like how the mind does it human mind does it it's three levels so you get the visual you get the audio and you get the basic semantic so again, the visual is the easiest way of doing it. If I show you a picture, you decode that a lot easier than me telling you this, because this is semantic, this is about meaning. And as I say before, people have got limited time. They've got a lot to think about. You've got to make, as I said in that article, you've got to make it almost Occam's razor. You know what I mean? I said, I'm going to get grilled. And I said, I don't think that if I'm not going to get grilled by senior leaders or by people people in the, in the in the sector in general, I wouldn't be doing a good enough job because it's so complex. But when I get to the point where they're like, I get that. Mm. And I get that. Why? Because again, you know, there's so many ways to say, come back to the elephant example. There's so many ways of eating it. It's like, I want to be the guy who says, look, right, okay, you start here and you basically cut this bit off and you start chewing there and then the next bit. And you start chewing that up. And it's like you're making it easy because I think a lot of people are getting stuck with the idea of how difficult it is rather than thinking what's the opportunity and where do we start? Because saying come back to the, the idea about the, the, the KPIs, a lot of people kind of think, what, what do we measure? But I can say from best practice, I, I can say straight off the bat, it's offices and operations. It's either just in homes, you need homes, you need ecology. People think, is that it? Is that all it is? Like, yeah. It really, really is. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But people would say straight off the bat, like, what do you measure? They spend hours and hours in meetings thinking, let's all have a think of what KPIs we can set. So I can just give you 12 over four. But again, that's based on so much research that I've, that's not just being me, by the way, just coming in and going, oh, it's four. So I don't know. It was like, there was a lot of research into it, but it's, it's once we've got that idea, that's it. That's it. When you were talking, John, there a minute ago um, about uh, how you present this to colleagues, and Sarah picked some of it, I had visions of the um, of Minority Report, the kind of the future crimes, you know, trying to predict predict. Are you calling me and... Tom Cruise, Jeff? I, I won't mind that. <laughs> I think I think we're about I think we're about the same height. That's that's all right, that isn't it? <laughs> no, that's not where I was going with that at all. And, and you just be thankful this is audio only, yeah. <laughs> I'll say that 50 quid afterwards by a bank <laughs> but it's it's really interesting I, I think as well for me that the psychology aspect when when it comes to retrofit I'm fascinated by the fact that you that you bring that to the table as well John and um uh just thinking about the process from a client perspective too we're when we look at retrofit we're dealing with a supply chain that comes from the construction industry and the construction industry is not used to uh operating in an in an environment where maybe you're looking on where you're working in people's living rooms uh rather than on construction sites you know and the psychology of how you get people to be willing to turn their homes into construction sites how you find ways technically to to minimize the the uh, disruption to them as well i suppose is a, a significant part of it but how do, have you thought about that and how, how you get buy-in to to enable you to do the work um uh from the client perspective rather than just think you know it's like a, one uh, that i know in the industry saying to, to saying to site operatives when they were getting into retrofit you have to remember you're no longer a uh a building contractor you were a home services contractor now and you've got to think about it from that perspective have you thought of, uh, about this uh, this kind of element i think it's massive in the sector to be honest again as i say before about the bomb field of you every home counts but again the most important element is is the, the biggest asset of all the residents you've got to remember as well and it's one of the things that i kind of is a bit of usp and um, which i totally agree with jeff about being a home services contractor 
it's the importance of the residents and understand the residents' challenges, being totally honest with you. Mm. So, for instance, you might say, say what, loft insulation? Quite simple, ah. Go up the stairs, you throw it down, you're done. But at the same time, what if that resident's really vulnerable? What do you do then? What if that resident's got, like, underlying health conditions that we have to be really aware of? And now, especially, what happens when basically we've got to deliver it in a time of a pandemic? And people are really, like, you know, worried about people coming to the homes. And again, that's not bad thing. That's just the reality of what happens. So for me, really, resident engagement is absolutely, you know, essential. And that's something, again, especially when we look at some of the funded work and what we're going to do. You know, that's one of the big things that, obviously, when we have our, well, when we have retrofit coordinators, that's going to be one of the big things, is how do we do this to the point where, again, the residents are at the centre of everything. At the same time, as well, it's just the opposite way around, where we do get refusals as well. And as I say, we do have uh, people on standby, our tenancy liaison officers. And I think the two that I've got within our team, they've both been housing officers prior. So they're aware of that. Mm. Right? So again, if there's challenges, or again, there's an issue that the resident may want to refuse as an issue, what it is, first thing I ask for is, okay, what's the reason for the refusal? And then we ask them. And then they may go, I may ask one of them to go out. As I say, the great, the dead resident orientated, it's amazing. I, I love working with them. But again, it's a case of understanding their resident story. So it's come back to the quality development. Do you know what I mean? We're going to see this as an organisation, but also as well as a sector. And we've learned that from our best practice partners in both the North and the South, which they say at the moment. And I think there was something that came out from a, a, a procurement framework the other day. We're already getting some projects where they're getting up to 40% refusals. And the first question I'd ask is why? So a lot of people go, oh, it's hindering our plans because we've only got a small delivery window if we've got funding. And the first question is, is like, where's your residence engagement, especially past 2035? But also as well as then what are you doing to help that residence or what are you doing to understand that residence story? Everything that I ever do, Jeff, is always about understanding others first and then being understood. And I think for me, that's something that we have on our team. And again, as an organisation, do you know I mean? We really are residence orientation. That's something that we really want to do. And again, going forward and works, and we're still le- learning lessons now. It's fine. Do you know what I mean? Because that's the that's what the way the sector's going. But again, that's something that I think we're going to really champion coming forward, and we're really looking to work a lot more residents to get them involved and get them understanding things. And it's not just in terms of obviously from an active perspective, like being on the front line, but also as well other elements that we've got, um, such as you know um, passive resident engagement, such as uh, Magenta Connect, which is our resident platform, uh, and a few other things as well. So we really want to take account of residents' um, understandings and expectations. So how much of this is you specifically? Because you've got a, what feels like a unique origin story for the sector. You know, you studied psychology, you went in, you you uh, what you became a, a support worker, you got in on the ground floor and you worked your way up. And the way you're talking about the subject, like there's a lot more emotional intelligence than one might expect for someone who's an asset manager. And the way you're thinking about, the way you've described considering all the different stakeholders. I mean, you know, this, this reminds me of what Alex and I do for work in trying to help people make things work better, systems design and whatnot. You've got to account for the psychology of the individuals and what you described about communication. People remember how they felt, not necessarily what you said. So, I mean, how much of this whole plan is down to you uniquely and how much has your uh, your background influenced what you're able to do? I literally, like, for me, it's all about being emotionally intelligent. I've been so big on it, like, forever. And I think even before I was support worker, I was working for systems advice for a number of years. So when you hear people's story over and over and over and the amount of things that you hear, but whilst you might hear the same level of story, 
Mm. It could be, you know, an issue with asset management. It could be an issue with rent. It could be an issue with whatever. It's every person was different. Mm. And everything you've got to take account of. And all that basically told me was just that you've got to be accountable literally for all them individual stories. You've got to understand, whilst there's a, a generic approach, you've got to be flexible enough to understand basically approach to like an individual level. Now, for me, in terms of what that is, I mean, I've always been like that. I was a, I was like that as a support worker, I was an officer, even work for the council, and of course, working as a pre, previously in asset management uh, in general, in performance. But I think for us, as well as an organisation, as I say, we're really, really passionate about residents in general. So as I say, I don't feel like I've had to influence people to think like this so looking at like for instance you know our our elt and our board and our senior leadership team and and again you know they're just it's just it's just a blessing do you know what i mean because it's the very residents aware do you know what i mean and again we're very into that you know we're very into delivering a great service as i say it's even in this in the in the mission yeah it's vibrant it's vibrant homes vibrant neighborhoods it's vibrant lives and for me i said the end of everything (laughs) to get a home to people over and over again but it's like something that we just believe in yeah but you know this is about again like the kind of thing that you suggested early doors it's the value system right it's like Mm -hmm. having that embedded in everything that you do and it's almost like what i'm thinking as well is about people who might be listening to this who are in a similar line of work or in a similar kind of industry and who maybe have some of this embedded but not all of it or would like to have more of it involved and it's sort of like how do how do people pivot? How do people do that? And it is got to be something that you just use as a touchstone for all the decisions. But I think as well, what's in my mind is, I think people are suspicious about changing the way they work from business as usual to something different because they're afraid of the loss or they're afraid of what they'll give up or they're afraid that they'll have to not, it's all this sort of like rhetoric around losing out by actually becoming a better organization with more fundamental values that actually address like humanity in our neighborhoods or whatever you want to call it. But like actually it's only better every different organization that we've talked to that has this similar approach. It's always an improvement. It's always an improvement. Well, like I mean, I, that's down to a lot. Of, sorry. Uh, sorry. No, no, that's it, that's it. Well, um, a lot of it's down to the way we appreciate uh, the assets, the properties. Cause if you think about it, like if you look at, and I'm, I'm bleating about this every other episode anyway, uh, to the government homes are like economic progress generators. You know, they're stores of private wealth, either within a corporate entity or within individual homeowners. Like in the owner markets, houses are perceived as stores and generators of wealth. Uh, and in, in our own personal homes, by and large, we don't really think about the comfort. Like that's not absolutely essential. We put up with a lot. Private rental markets, it's the same, except uh, the renters themselves rarely figure because they don't have to. Local authorities, they're legislated to treat uh, social housing assets that they own as generators of wealth for themselves, and they've been legislated to uh, ensure that there is a right to buy and forbidden to take on debt to restock the social housing, which then breaks up the provision and you stop thinking about residents as a, a, a sector at all. Which then, because you're breaking up the local authority social housing provision, you leave an ever gap in the ever larger gap in the market, which is an opportunity then for an organization like Magenta, which, as John pointed out at the start, you know, government is this is the only place where government's really legislating people to think about the uh, the end user, the resident. 
and social housing entities like yourself, they're the only people who can start creating this sort of housing stock. So that you're in a unique position. The only other person, the only other developer that I've read about or spoken to is I had a conversation with DRES, the, the Irish developer the other day. And they're the only people who I've read anything about in years talking about sincerely about putting the resident first within the development of the uh, the community. Well, not even the community, within the, the, the set of housing assets. It's a mad thing. I think when you think about there's a couple of things which I, I totally agree with. The first one, as I say previously, is you know we need to understand stakeholders' challenges. I think we've got to be mostly aware of that. And again, if there's USP on that, we can do. But one of the big things as well, and it sounds a bit silly, I think we said that before, was that um, some of these things are that new that you feel like you're on Dragon's Den, right? So imagine, right, you know, I go in there and I want, you know, million pound for 10% in my, you know, understanding or whatever, and you're going in front of Deborah Mead and Peter Jones, the upper features and all that. And in my head, it's about being very, the one thing, as I say, because there's going to be organisations obviously who are listening who may not be at this point, and that's fine, because right? the sector is learning, and that's fine. But it's it's giving them, in my head, it's like, you know, for a fact, at the end of every Dragon's Den episode, well, every, you know, scenario, they ask them question after question after question, and they've got to have the numbers right. But for me, I always go with the idea of, right, I basically want, I don't want them to ask me any questions, right? I want to basically sell this idea that includes all these elements, obviously not just in terms of like an idea in terms of, oh yeah, it's great to include lessons, but again, showing, as we said before, Sarah, the value of what it could bring and also showing it in a way that can be done, that's, that's logical, that's reasonable. And again, it's it's had a lot of thought. So for instance, if you said to us now, you know, can you write me a, and um, I, I, I was a retrofit program. It wouldn't take me an hour. It'd take me two weeks. Mm. But the reason why it takes two weeks is because all this has been really thought out. So in the end, it's when it comes to that point when I'm sitting there in front of like my assistant director, my head of service, you know, exec director, and you've got everyone else around the table, procurement, income, finance, everyone. You've 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 thought of everyone's challenges. You've thought of their languages. You've thought of you know every and if they're going to ask a question because you can't outthink everybody because at the end of the day they're in them positions because they're great at what they do and they're trusted. But at the same time, you've got the holistic knowledge. You've got the holistic mindset, and you're basically giving them so many reasons. You've absolutely thought as like everybody in that room to the point where it's like they almost can't they can't say no. Yeah, and you yeah. put it in like 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 as I say every time. I put as well in line with the corporate values, you know, the corporate vision. Do you know what I mean? I said, I say exactly what it's going to do for residents. I say how it fits into like not just our plans, but also the local plans, the, the Liverpool City region plans. So again, if we want to go with, obviously we're partners and there we can do. And again, also as well, giving a bit of USP and saying, you know what, there's some things that we're doing that maybe others aren't doing. Or it might be an area that might start really accumulating like benefits and positivity for areas that we didn't know prior. So one of the first things I did was around when we were doing the initial uh, pilot for, for, the, for the demonstrator fund was I put one scenario where it actually had a carbon zero pilot in there as well. So not only looking at that area, it was it was capitalising on a programme that we previously did and actually not just bringing properties up to a C, bringing them up to a B and also then kind of placemaking that area. So it's like saying, wow, that's a bit different, isn't it? But I look at all them other areas, think about the resident satisfaction, think about the finances, think about the funding, think about even down to like the, uh, the logistics of how we could deliver it. So yeah. you've got to give them to the point where you're literally sitting there, it's like, have you got any questions? I know they're going to have the questions. You're packed in your own thinking and they're not going to ask me anything I didn't think about before. <laughs> so it sounds amazing. Um, I, I, uh, part of me still can't get away from wanting to just be this, um, this omnipotent 
uh, all controlling despot who just forces everybody to do exactly what I want and just <laughs> fix the whole problem. And, you know, screw you guys. It's my way. Josh way or the highway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just suck it up, you know. Um, and, so, um, yeah, but then here's this then, right? So if we're, if we're, if we're like going to end on a note, which is like, let's not just talk about this, but let's drive this further right so we said maybe there's a um, we've not we've only heard a couple of people talking like this from this perspective so anyone out there listening now who knows anything like a, a similar organization doing stuff like what john is doing then let us know so we can like share this beyond like beyond this conversation because what we do need are more john's doing more of the same oh john's wow <laughs> imagine that it would but you're in good company for being dead loud here but I think um that but that's it right so like my my absolute passion about all of this is replication replication of the stuff that's good for the stuff that's got the good value systems because it's possible but because we absolutely have to and we absolutely don't have a choice and just everybody come on like catch up let's do this this is what we have to do so I want to be able to share what you're doing and connect the dots with others that are doing similar stuff and pulling, you know, pulling people up who are wanting to do the same and need a little bit of guidance on that. So I think we should also yeah. like, you know, allow that conversation to happen. So if anybody is listening with some suggestions, then let us know. But that's it's a big easy. thing as well for Muska. Sorry to cut you off there, Dan, but that's a big thing obviously on our front. And again, I think that's just something general. It's like, you know, as I've always believed, like leaders inspire leadership. It's not about saying we do this and we do that. We're great. It's like when, I mean, I've spoken in a number of conferences around this. I'm speaking in the one on the 18th, if anyone's listening. But at the same time, it's all about encouraging others to do it. But at the same time as well, it's just like, please ask us these questions. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's not saying like I'm the world's best or whatever, but it's a case of saying if there's something you can learn from me and the opposite way around, you might give me a different dynamic to think myself. Do you know what I mean? So we're very open and honest towards that. And again, we've spoken at a number of conferences around the stuff that we've done. But at the same time as well as again, it's, we like being challenged. We want to understand, you know, how can we make the, how can we make the service that we've got better? Do you know what I mean? I guarantee there's organisations out there they might not be even thinking about this, but they've got something within their own plans or what they do that we can learn from. And again, it's about, remember, we've only got 13,000 homes and there's 4.1 million of them in, in the country. So I guarantee you, whatever your managing out there, like we will learn something from you. And I'm sure, obviously, you know, you can learn something from us. So it's about partnership and working together. What a good place to wrap up on. Um, John, thanks so much. I've just got like such an inspired feeling at the end of what was a really non-inspiring Friday. So thank you very much. Um, I think that was really great. She's referring to before the conversation starts. I was going to say, it's like saying that, yeah. Like, <laughs> well, you were sad you but you were dead born. Oh, no, like, no, absolutely. You've been a ray of light since the second we met you this afternoon. Thank you very much. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, I think we'll, We'll almost certainly have you back again in the future if you're up for it, because I'd I'd love to dig into uh, Magenta Connect, the app that you're using to engage the residents, because I think there's something really important to explore there around uh, how one engages with the residents and, you know, what even works and what one can get out of it. Uh, But we will will dig into that again. And I think the sharing things is much better uh, an approach than Jeff's benevolent dictator. I they, never they said benevolence. Trusted. Did I say benevolence? <laughs> <laughs> benevolence. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, we'll put links and that in the, the, the notes attached to the episode. And uh, yeah. Oh, fabulous. Thanks, Tom. Thanks guys. a lot. Cheers. Thank you very Take much. Care.